welcome to the Modern Law Revolution podcast sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association. This is the podcast that features the successful and happy lawyers who are changing the practice of law and elsewhere as our special guest will talk about today. My name is JP Box. I'm your co-host. I'm a lawyer turned entrepreneur, consultant and author and currently have the pleasure of serving as the chair of the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative. And I am Erica Holmes. I have a solo practice doing family law and attorney ethics and regulation, practicing the modern law way. Uh, and I am past, past chair of the Modern Law Practice Initiative. Well, good morning, Erica. Um, today we have your favorite topic, perhaps, of, um, of all time. And so I wanted to take a step back during our original episode, back in the olden days when we all got together in the same room for this, we talked about the four pillars of modern representation. And we have a topic today that focuses on each of those four pillars. So just yes. to remind everybody, if it's not on the tip of their tongues, what are those four pillars and what are we getting into today? I'm sure it's on the tip of everybody's tongue because they have all memorized these wonderful four pillars. Um, so we do four pillars because modern law practice um, and modern law is an all-encompassing way of practicing law uh, that provides lawyers and clients um, empowerment, focus, technology, and value. Um, and in terms of empowerment, um, it's clients being very involved in their case, which empowers them, and lawyers having the empowerment to practice law the way that they want to. Um, with focus, it's really um, having your practice focus on the client problems and solutions. And for lawyers, it's being able to focus on practicing law, not just running your law firm. Um, in terms of technology, um, it's beneficial for both in terms of being um, very efficient for clients and for lawyers. And then when we talk about the um, fourth pillar value, um, it is about being affordable, but at the same time, it is about the non-tangibles um, in terms of providing value for your client, which what Jessica is going to be getting into today. Um, and in terms of value for the lawyer, um, it is about being profitable, but it's also about having a thriving law practice, which um, thriving in all parts of your life and in your practice. No one will ever forget the four pillars. And so today, this is part three of our four-part series on uh, what is your vision for yourself, your clients, which is our focus today, and the legal community, which will be our focus on the uh, next episode. But in a lot of ways, these all mesh together when we're focusing on our clients in the right way. Um, you know, to take a step back, this series was inspired in part by the shakeup that all of us have gone through in the past month or two months as our worlds have grinded to a halt and started back up again in very unorthodox, unforeseen ways. Um, we are living through a pandemic where we're having to figure out new ways to be productive, new ways to connect with each other. And so there are a lot of real challenges from a health standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from a social standpoint, but there's also the opportunity to have some reflection during this moment and really think about, you know, what is the best professional version of myself? What is the best way we can interact with clients? What do we want our communities to look like once we can come back together? And so that was really the impetus 
for this series. Um, and I just want to make a uh, caveat out there to our listeners. Um, last week, we heard from four very inspiring attorneys uh, who have different practice areas, who live in different parts of Colorado, who shared their journeys. Um, and during this process, we've shared our own journeys as well. And sometimes when you hear the five to 10 minute soundbite of this is who I am and how I got here, um, sometimes, I think unintentionally so, it sounds like it was a easy linear path. But uh, I just want our, you know, our listeners to know that if you are going through this process of defining your vision for yourself, for your clients, for the community as a whole, that this process does have some struggle. It has, does have some setbacks, but really it's about having the courage of your vision and being supported by, um, you know, the, the hope that you can align yourself with what you do professionally, and that will carry you through those um, rough patches that inevitably will pop up as we're on this point. And in terms of a vision, you also don't have to start off with this clear vision of knowing exactly where you're going. Um, I kind of, in my inimitable style, which is to have no style whatsoever, just kind of stumble and trip and fell into a fantastic life um, and practice that I love. So I uh, don't feel like you also have to start off with the pressure of knowing exactly what you are, where you're headed in terms of your vision. Exactly. One of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs is you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And so sometimes, you know, we don't have that outline of steps A, B, and C, and this is exactly where I got to. So I think that's important to keep in mind. And with that, I want to turn it over to you now, Erica, and have you share um, the vision that you have for your clients and how you arrived at this process of setting up your law practice in a very intentional way that is that win-win for yourself and for your clients. Well, and that's exactly why I get so passionate about modern law um, is this path or this vision specifically, um, because when I started off, like I said, I just kind of was making it up as I went along and I did it for a client based on the client focus. Um, but what I found was that for everything I was doing for my clients, it had an equal, if not better benefit for myself as the lawyer. And so I'm just like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I started off with one focus and then just kept getting benefit after benefit for myself, um, which is okay. It's, it, as I said on last show, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to think of, you know, doing this for yourself as well as for your clients. Um, it's just always, it's amazing to me when you start off with one focus and then something unintentional happens. Um, at serendipitous, um, and fortunate accident on the other side. So um, getting a little bit more specific on that in terms of my story. So um, about five years ago is when I left the firm. Um, I was working at a mid-size um, downtown law firm doing high-end divorce and was completely miserable and just up and you know, gave my two-week notice because I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and I didn't, I was so miserable, didn't realize if I hated law or if I hated the practice of law. And so um, with coming up with the firm, we were talking about it not being this um, grand vision that I woke up with one day. It was more of like, there's about a third of the things that I knew that I liked. And there's about two thirds of the things that I knew that I didn't like. So it was a lot more of, I don't want to do it this way. 
and then finding out that I had alternatives. Um, and so one of the um, big things that did keep me sane while I was working at the firm was the clinic work that I was doing. Um, and, you know, just giving free legal advice, uh, you know, this one happened to be the Metro Volunteer Lawyers Indian Clinic on a Wednesday night. Um, and uh, what I was really getting out of it was a feeling that I was helping people. It wasn't just a matter of like trying to bankrupt the other spouse in a divorce case. Um, and uh, I was really connecting with the people that I was talking to. And you could just see like this, like getting them the basic information of like, here's step A, B, and C. Like it was so empowering for the people that I was talking to. And they were so appreciative of just getting the knowledge. It was very, very fulfilling for me. And so I was going towards that concept. Um, however, knowing that I'm a single girl and that I needed to eat somehow, I had to do, have to do that, the clinic work type concept with making some money. And, um, and that's when I found Jess, who we're going to hear from in a little bit. Um, and she introduced me to this um, way of practicing law. Um, and um, her big focus you know, to help you in this process is to start focusing on your client. So um, I wanted to provide affordable legal services. So I decided after talking to a bunch of different lawyers and how they were doing it, that I wanted to do everything on a flat fee basis, right? Um, make it affordable, predictable pricing for the client so they can budget whatever. Um, what I realized is going on flat fee got me off of the billable hour um, and I didn't have to deal with any collections because I would get my flat fee up front. So it was like, the ideal was to start for the client, but then I realized huge benefit for me. Um, and, you weren't, uh, and you weren't counting your life in six-minute chunks at that point either. Yes. <laughs> oh, we should, you need to have a whole episode on getting off the billable hour and all the uh, stress relief right there that um, makes us all worth it. Um, so the, uh, the other way that I decided to... Um, structure my firm based on my clients was to do everything in an unbundled uh, fashion. So um, again, it was to be affordable for my clients so they could get, if they could only afford little chunks of legal services, that's what they would get. It was very customizable for them. And when I found out it was also very empowering for them because doing an unbundled, they're more involved in their case because they're doing pieces of it. And so they were feeling like they were really getting some power when they at a time in their life when they didn't feel like they had control over anything so but then I realized with doing unbundled that it kept I got to really focus on the work that I found most interesting um and you know I love giving advice um and um I actually love writing up like parenting plans and that kind of thing but regular doctor review can't stand it, so I tend not to do that. Um, and I also found out that unbundling is a great way of screening clients um, because you can work for it with them on a little bit of a basis. And if they kind of get you a little nervous when you're first starting off, but you're not sure that they're crazy, you work with them on one task and you find out if they are or they aren't and you move forward accordingly. So again, benefit for client, benefit for lawyer. Um, running a virtual office. Uh, when I would tell clients about my, you know, here's the way that I practice, they're like, oh my God, that sounds awesome. <gasps> Where are you located? Like nobody wants to come downtown. So I'm like, well, I come to you. And they just, it was like the clouds part, the rainbows come out. Like they just can't believe that a lawyer would do that. Um, and so benefit for client. Well, for me, I actually have, not only do I have no overhead, I have negative overhead because I get to write off the little desk in my apartment that I'm never at. Um, win-win, both ways. Um, 
when it comes to scheduling. Um, I tend to be a extreme early bird. Um, and um, so I am available for my clients often before they go to work. I can tell you where most of the Starbucks are in Denver that open at 4.30 in the morning, but that's when it works for me. Try to get a hold of me after five o'clock at night, good luck with that. But it works for my clients. And so um, being flexible with the schedule. It works for them, it works fantastic for me. Um, down to dress, then this is how I realized that my clients actually really don't want me dressed up, is that I, there's one uh, thing in domestic law called the quadro, and you just need to have an original signature on it. And I was talking to my client and was going to literally be running by her office on my run that day um, and said, if you don't mind seeing me hot and sweaty, I'm happy to like come by and you can sign it that way. And she thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. And I realized, you know what? Um, if the clients are happy with me wearing Pilates pants, then I'm all good with it too. And, and they actually, I'm finding that they, when I am not dressed up, that they feel much more comfortable telling me, you know, within divorce, their like life stories and stuff. And, you know, I get to wear comfortable clothes and I don't have dry cleaning bills. So again, like win-win, like it was for the client, but it ended up being for me, um, you know, for great for the lawyer too. So with all of that, if they're what I would like um, the listeners to walk away with this in terms of focusing on the client, again, it's that win-win, it's customizable. Just because I meet clients at 4.30 in the morning at Starbucks does not mean that you need to do it. But uh, So it's really um, focusing on what's going to work for you as well as your clients. Um, and that, and going back to what you had originally said, JP, that this is a fluid process. Like, I did not wake up knowing this is how I ever wanted to run my firm. I really stumbled and fell into finding out what worked the best. So it is a learn-as-you-go process. And... Um, if there's an upside to the pandemic, this is a great time to be experimenting with that change um, and, and playing around with different things that work, find out what works for your client and then find out what works for you. So that all being said, Mr. JP, um, tell us how client-centric um, works in your business, your current part of your business that does nothing to do with the law to show how this works for everybody. Yeah, and I think it can be transferable to how we interact with clients as lawyers as well. So again, I, I tried every style of law except modern law because the uh, modern law practice initiative had not found me yet. But when I look at, you know, so my, my wife and I run a Merino wool kids apparel company. So we make a product for sale, but I never want it to feel like that to our customers that I don't want it to be this transactional salesy relationship. But I think, you know, for myself personally, and I think for a lot of our customers, we want to invest in an experience. And so it's, we're buying something larger than just a good for consumption. We're buying the, you know, for our apparel, we're buying the farm to garment story from the sheep and the mountainous New Zealand ranch to the worker-owned factory in North Carolina that sews the fabric to the adventures that you go on when you're wearing our long johns, hoodies, short johns, whatever. And so I think for the law, a lot of times we have this, especially with billable hours, we sometimes have this narrow focus of I'm having a six-minute relationship that's entirely transactional with this client on a daily basis. 
0.1 hour, 0.1 hour, 0.1 hour, and just kind of marking as we go by the tasks. And so I think if we can move away from that very transactional relationship more towards we are offering our clients a great experience when they work with us. You know, as you said, your clients feel empowered when they are handling you know, a piece of family law with you, that they are not sitting on the sidelines, they are there alongside you, understanding the process, being brought into the process, and feeling in control. And by offering that experience, you're offering much more than just a service. You're really offering something meaningful to your clients. And so, you know, whether you're selling, you know, a crib sheet or whether you're selling legal services, I think we all need to start working towards that process of how can I give this person a great experience when I am working with them. And it really takes the sell out of selling. Um, so when you are talking with potential clients and you're focusing on the experience for them um, and what you want to do for them, it's not like you're this used car salesman thing. You're just talking to these, you're talking to people relating with people. It's about the client, it's about them. And so it really, you don't even realize that you're quote unquote marketing what you're doing. Um, it's by just focusing on the client. Right. There's, there's a genuineness behind it. And I think like a lot of young lawyers, I was always hesitant to do kind of the, you know, networking type events because I never looked at myself as, you know, I'm not a salesy person. I don't want to try to convince somebody that, you know, they should buy my services. But once you align how you want to interact with clients and what experience you want to deliver, it becomes very natural to have that presence where, people do want to buy into the experience that you are offering. Um, so with that, Erica and I have, have talked a good amount, but um, well, let's bring in our special guest today. Erica, I'll let you uh, introduce Jess. So uh, we have with us today um, Jessica Bednars, and she is coming to us from the Windy City of Chicago, um, but by way of Colorado back there. Um, she is, amazing. As I said, um, she is the reason I do modern law. She introduced me to this entire concept. So I'm so excited to have her introduce this to all of you today. Um, her current position is she is the director of innovation and the director of the uh, Chicago Bar Foundation Justice Entrepreneurial Project. Try saying that three times fast. Just probably you, you can. <laughs> I can't. Anyway, um, she previously was the interim executive director of Colorado's Legal Entrepreneurs for Justice. And I'm sorry, both of those are incubators um, bringing about um, modern lawyers in um, Chicago and in Colorado. And um, previously, when she did live in um, Colorado, she was at the CBA um, and um, her duties included revamping the successful business planning for the modern law practice, which is the toolkit that the MLPI puts out, um, which is available to all of you on the our community page. Um, and then in her spare time, um, she is the co-founder of On Purpose Legal Network. Um, and I'll let Jess, you can explain exactly what that is. Um, and But I do want to start you off with the question of how did you get involved in the modern law practice movement and um, to change how lawyers practice law? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, that wonderful intro, Erica. I'm going to bring you with me everywhere I go. Um, and thank you, Jane, 
And to both of you for allowing me to be here today and talk with you and talk with your audience. I do enjoy this topic. Um, but to answer your question, so when did I join the movement? I would say I joined it maybe before it was a movement. So let me explain. Um, I graduated from law school in 2009, took the bar, um, and then immediately opened up my own firm because uh, it was an amazing time to graduate and there were tons of jobs. Um, <laughs> And as I was trying to get one of those, my, I was encouraged by a law professor to open my own firm and take some of my cases as I, you know, as, as things opened up. Um, and when I was doing that, I, I did some things that were client-centric. So, for example, um, I would offer flat fees when I could. I remember one client where um, she felt comfortable going to court and really just needed someone to coach her in the background. So I did that. Um, which is limited scope representation. And in Illinois, we didn't have any limited scope rules on the book until 2013, so four years after I started doing this. Um, it didn't mean that what I did was unethical, it just didn't explicitly lay it out. Um, so I was doing things like that. I also remember meeting people in coffee shops, um, a couple of different ones around town. Um, and again, because I, I wanted to help people and I think maybe because of my background, um, my undergraduate degree is in marketing and marketing is all about, you know, really taking a deep dive into your client and then using that information to develop campaigns so you can sell products. Um, so I, I just naturally gravitated towards that and just thought that was the way to do things. So I guess informally, that is when I started to do these things. But um, fast forward, let's see, five or six years and uh, well, no, more like four years. In 2013, I started working at the Chicago Bar Foundation, which is where I work now. Um, but at that time I was in a different role and a couple months after I started there is when the, they opened their legal incubator, the Justice Entrepreneurs Project. So I was not the director of the program then, but I did have an opportunity to do some work with the incubator. Um, and one of the uh, core principles of the incubator was for um, the attorneys to be developing client-centric practices. And what was included in that, although this is not an exhaustive list, are things like um, our attorneys don't bill by the hour, um, they offer predictable pricing, um, they unbundle services when it makes sense to do so, they leverage technology, things like that. Um, so I had an opportunity to work with them a little bit on that and then ultimately um, put together resources like the pricing toolkit that we I think shared in 2016, I think that's roughly the time I met you, Erica. So that is how I got involved. Now, um, you listed um, ways that firms can be client-centric. Do you have a definition of what being client-centric means in terms of practicing law? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't have a, like a one sentence definition, but this is what I, this is what comes to mind and what I tell people. So client-centric is all about the client and just first recognizing that you are not your client. So as you're thinking about things, um, you know, how you're going to develop your customer services practices and um, figure out how you're going to deliver your services, um, things like that. Don't do it from your point of view because you're not your client. So it's really um, having a deep understanding of who it is you're trying to target, like who are the people you really want to serve. And then using that information, like learning about what is important to them and then using that information to kind of design your practices, what you're going to deliver, how you're going to provide customer service, things like that. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. I know a lot of times maybe people have heard the terms design thinking um, or human centered design or even 
user experience design, which I think are all slightly different things, but all hit at the same point, uh, which is you're, you want to be designing things with your customer in mind. So that's kind of what comes to mind for me. Um, just to play devil's advocate, if, if someone's listening and saying, well, we're all lawyers, we're all in the service industry, we all exist to serve clients, how does your view of a client-centric practice differ from a more, let's just say, traditional view of a client-based practice? Yes, great question. And, you know, many of us go to law school to help people and we do feel like we're helping people when we're giving these services and we are, but we are thinking, I am talking about something slightly different. So um, I thought I would offer an example and a quote that might illustrate the point a little bit more. So um, I don't know if either of you or anyone who is listening has had the opportunity to hear Ron Baker from the Verisage Institute talk. Um, I've actually talked with him on the phone. It's been really helpful. I've seen him through a couple webinars. Um, I would encourage people to go to his website and read more. I think he also has a book or two. But he is, I think he's a CPA um, and does consulting work on pricing within the legal profession, but I think within other legal professions too. And he gave me this really great example one time when we were trying to work through something at the incubator. So here it is. Um, so he said, you know, imagine I am in my house in my yard and a landscaper rolls up and he says, I, hey, I can offer landscaping services to you for $40 an hour. And that's it, that's what he says. And you know, from Ron's point of view, he's like, okay, well, that's nice. So I know how much it'll cost for the inputs for the things that you're doing. So I see this very similar to the billable hour situation with a lot of attorneys, you know, they're gonna say, you know, I will charge you X number of dollars an hour to do X, Y, not even X, Y, Z, to, to solve your problem. And oftentimes I'm not even sure they outline what all that entails. Okay, so that's like scenario one. And then he would talk about, okay, in scenario two, a different landscaper rolls up and says, you know what, for $100 a month, I am going to do X, Y, and Z. So I will, I don't know, switch out your bushes every month, cut your grass and water everything. Okay. So that's a little better, right? Because in that situation, um, that landscaper has at least provided price certainty and there's some value there, right? And you have a better sense of what the outputs are gonna be, what he's actually gonna do, not just the work that he's gonna put in, but what, what are the outputs? What are the solutions that he's gonna provide? So better than one. But then he talks about the third scenario, which is he's standing in his yard and a third landscaper rolls up. And that landscaper starts out by asking, you know, tell me about yourself. Why are you leaving your current landscaper? What is it that you ultimately are trying to achieve? And then based off of what the answers were to that, and by asking those questions, the landscaper is trying to determine, you know, what does Ron value and ultimately scope the case and then provide options based on that. So, I hope that kind of illustrates the point. And, but then also another quote that we like to share a lot that I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Um, it's the Maya Angelou quote that's, I have to read it word for word, I'll get it wrong. Um, but I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And to me, um, the reason we like to share that with our every incubator class that comes in is because it really illustrates the importance of customer service and that, you know, when lawyers are, um, you know, offering services and solving 
people's problems, you know, they're at the end of the day, what they're really going to remember is how they felt and not even necessarily with how they felt with respect to the outcome. How do they feel overall? And a lot of that actually has far more to do with customer service and client experience um, than it does the outcome of a case. So um, I think it just has a lot to do more with customer service and it, it could just be value can be a lot of different things, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a second, but um, hopefully those illustrations and quotes were helpful. Well, you actually, you just led us right into the next question, which is what is client value? Um, I mean, we're saying a good experience. Uh, let's put a little more um, meat on the bones for that. Definitely. Cause that's super big. Um, so it's anything that is important to your client, which I know we've only narrowed out down a little bit, but kind of just for a second. And then I, I have some other examples, information I want to share, but like, just put yourself in the buying shoes, not necessarily legal services, just of anything. Um, so I'm going to use Erica cause I know she likes to cycle. Um, did I, I mean, cycling is the right term, right? You like to yep. ride your <laughs> Um, I go around in a circle on wheels. You're good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like when you're shopping for different equipment for, you know, that hobby, I'm sure you make certain purchasing decisions based on the value that certain things provide, whether that be the price itself. Is it affordable? Uh, is it the quality? Uh, maybe how easy is it for you to actually get that equipment? Um, so really, it's just thinking about the, 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 the legal consumer and what's important to them. And, and both of you named a, a number of things. Um, Erica talked about uh, meeting people, you know, where they are in a, in a coffee shop or, or wherever. Um, you know, that's convenience. That's valuable to people. Um, but one thing we've used at our incubator, and I actually learned this from Lauren Lester, who I know you both know, um, is the Bain and Company's Elements of Value Pyramid. So if people are not familiar with it, I just encourage you to Google exactly that, Bain and Company's Elements of Value Pyramid, and it'll come up. Um, and it's this cool interactive pyramid that's based off of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Um, it has th 30 different elements in there, and it's, it's in four sections. So the bottom section is functional, and then as you move up the pyramid, it's emotional, and then it's life-changing, and then self-transcendence. Transcendence is at the top. Um, and the point is, it's just really cool. It'll, it'll, I think it'll expand your mind with respect to what all be, could be considered value. And the whole point of that pyramid is um, kind of as you move up the pyramid, um, you're providing more value and creating stronger relationships with people. And I think this can be used for law because if you think about it, um, you know, functional is on the bottom. We provide a lot of functional value for people. So if we are, we're managing risk, for example, that's a great example. Um, re resolving problems for people, all of that is very valuable. Um, but then we're doing things like offering convenience, which I just mentioned, also at the functional level. Um, but then if you keep moving up, emotional. So, you know, you can provide people value by providing them with peace of mind. That's, a, that's an emotional value that you can offer them, um, which arguably could be uh, more important to them than the ultimate resolution of your case. If you can provide them with peace of mind with respect to something. Um, and just to keep moving up, just wanted to give one more example. Um, the one I really like is, well, both of them at the top, but life-changing. For a criminal defense attorney, I mean, if you're keeping someone out of jail, that's life-changing. That's huge, right? Great amount of value there. 
But then also things like if you're a small business attorney and you're helping someone achieve their lifelong dream of opening some sort of business, like how powerful is that? That's amazing. And then just one example at the very top, self-transcendence. An example that comes to mind there is just with respect to estate planning. If you're in a position to organize your assets so that once you pass away, your family can continue on, I think that's, that's so valuable. So I just like that pyramid again, because I think when you look through it, it just expands your mind beyond just offering your legal services. Um, and, and again, I, I think I've already hit on this, but there's just so many different ways to add value and um, they're not all tied to your services. A lot of them are tied to customer service. And I would also add that they don't all have to be tied to law. Um, so in a family law context, you know, perhaps you have people on an e-newsletter and once a month in that e-newsletter, you send them tips on Uh, I don't know, like a new park that opened up in the neighborhood or whatever, whatever it is that's like kind of family related, but it's not really law related, right? But, you know, if your clients are families, that could be valuable to them. So just thinking about those things. Jessica, could you spell the name of the pyramid so people can um, look it up online? Yeah, so Bain is spelled B as in boy, A-I-N and company. Okay. I wanted to ask you as well, you know, with while we're focused on our clients, this is a very stressful time for a lot of people living through this very uncertain time with the pandemic. And so I wanted to ask, what effect do you see this pandemic having on what our vision is for our clients and how we serve our clients? Yeah, I thought about this one too. Um, I think, well, so, for, for lawyers who are not client-centric, I think this probably has been a difficult period of time um, beyond just the obvious reasons, but like when you're, if you were tying your value simply to inputs and then sometimes outputs and the courts are shut down and you can't do the things that you would normally do, I think that then makes it really hard to provide value. I'm doing the air quotes here, <laughs> people can't see it. Um, but if you are client-centric, I. I think it's for actually just, I think it's a great opportunity for you to really shine and to set yourself apart from other attorneys and for your existing clients. I think it's a great opportunity. I think, I think maybe you both talked about this earlier to, to experiment, but also like just to show them like everything that you're doing beyond just providing them with a legal solution. There, there are so many things that you can do, so many ways that you can provide empathy and value. And I think this is just the perfect opportunity, as you guys said, to experiment with that and think about that. Um, yeah, I don't, so I, and I don't know that it, I don't know that it's a bad thing for client-centric practices. I would look at it as an opportunity. Right, that there's already that creativity and flexibility and that mindset of how do I meet my client wherever he, she, the business is. Um, Well, one last uh, easier question, now that we've asked you all these big picture, you know, earth shattering questions. If people want to continue this conversation, how do they uh, get a hold of you? So I'll offer three different ways. So like most people, I'm on LinkedIn. Definitely feel free to hit me up there. Um, You can also find my contact info on the Chicago Bar Foundation website um, and definitely feel to 
feel free to reach out to me via email or call me. Um, but the third way is, as Erica mentioned, um, Lauren Lester and I did start uh, an online community called On Purpose Legal Network. Um, it's for legal professionals who are challenging the status quo to come together and define success for themselves and then gain the tools needed to achieve their goals and build careers that we love. So I think a lot of people who are listening to this would fall into that. And if you haven't already joined, I would recommend doing that. It's free. Um, I'm in there every day. And that would be the third way you can connect with me in there. There's a chat feature and we can just chat away. And that includes lawyers all over the country that are joining this network um, and um, generally in line with the movement. Yes, exactly. It is a national, uh, or I guess it could be international. We haven't had anyone join from another country, but theoretically that could happen. That would be amazing. And I will just add, it is for legal professionals. So it's a little broader than just lawyers. Um, we think other legal professionals have a lot to add to the conversation now and will continue to have even more, I mean, as, as we move forward, they're, they're just going to be become more and more important because I think they're going to make up a greater percentage of the legal profession. So if you know an awesome legal professional, mention it to them too. Well, and speaking of community, um, that is actually going to be the focus of our final um, piece of this series um, in terms of the vision for our legal community. So JP, um, you're going to be spearheading that part. So you want to uh, give us a little guidance on where we're going to go there ne next time? Sure. We are working on having a couple of excellent guests for our next episode. It'll be hard to top Jess, but we will do our best. Um, but I wanted to, to leave a couple of questions for everyone to ponder um, as we think about the vision for our legal community. And so the first would be, what do you want your legal community to look like once we're all able to come back together after this period passes? And how can you start building that community right now? How can you find your um, tribe of people who inspire you, who push you, and who really motivate you to become the best version of yourself? Um, and as long as we have Jess here, I, I did just want to give a plug again um, to the On Purpose Legal Network. A lot of uh, social media can have a negative tenor to it, but of course, anything Lauren and Jess create is overwhelmingly positive. And there are great discussions there on a daily basis, tackling really tough issues within our profession, but doing so from a very positive and supportive way. So I think that's a great place for people to start answering that question of how do we build that community. Um, Erica, what are some of the other uh, community resources that folks can connect with um, in the meantime as well? Well, there's always the uh, base of the Modern Law Practice Initiative monthly meetings. They are held the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, and we are doing them obviously by Zoom at this point. Um, and at, but they start at 11.30, like I said, the second Tuesday of every month. Um, we have the MLPI online community page where we've got um, information and different resources that you can use um, throughout the community, past articles, um, connection with referrals to other uh, modern law practice attorneys. Um, and we have the, uh, modern law, or the Modern Lawyer Lunch which is the last Thursday of every month um, at noon and um, until the restaurants start opening back up here shortly. Um, we are just going to be uh, munching online um, again by Zoom conference. 
then we have the CBA's Happy Lawyer Book Club, uh, which is not an oxymoron, um, that is um, starting back up in June, and it will be the first and third Thursdays of every month. Um, and we are moving to a breakfast, um, 8.30 time. So grab a cup of coffee, the good book that uh, we're reading at that time, and um, help find your, help, your happy place. Excellent. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today on The Revolution, and a big thanks to Jess for talking us through the client-centric practice. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>